Hello and welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino and I'm your host and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. We have all heard about so much going on with anybody that is attached to Donald Trump. We know that uh, uh, his home in Mar-a-Lago was raided by the FBI. We know that a number of other associates of his Uh, whether it's Roger Stone, whether it's Peter Navarro, who I had on just last week, um, have uh, really been harassed. And my guest today is Paul Manafort. So many of you hopefully have heard about Paul's case. He was a former uh, campaign manager for Donald Trump in the early part of his campaign and has really had his life destroyed since then by our justice system. And he's here to join me today to talk about uh, all that's going on with him and his great new book. So, Paul, thanks so much for coming on. Good to be with you, Jerry. Thank you for having me. Yes, my pleasure. So your, you know, your case uh, was was something certainly that I was very interested in as it was going on, uh, because I saw what our justice system and justice department was doing to people. You know, whether it was the Trump collusion, illusion, whatever we want to call it, that never happened. Yet our country was put through that. Uh, or so many others. So I want to start actually just for people that maybe don't know your background. I've gotten to know it pretty well. Uh, Tell me about your, essentially your career. You're a political consultant. That's what you've been doing for for many, many years before you got involved in the Trump campaign, right? Right. I've been, I've basically been involved in political affairs and government affairs for about 50 years. We went to Georgetown Law School, worked in the Ford White House, uh, was part of that campaign and then Governor Reagan's campaign. Uh, and then when he was elected president in 1980, uh, Roger Stone, Charlie Black, and I started a firm called Black Manafort and Stone, which sort of created a new model for government affairs in Washington, which had up until that point, grassroots support, strategy, tactics. Uh, we built a, built a new model in a, in, a, in a company that we ran for about 15 years till we sold it. And, uh, and, but, and I've been involved in the, during that time and also doing campaigns in the United States and overseas and over over 30 countries, actually. Uh, so it's uh, it's been a long career, pretty active career. And uh, Donald Trump sort of brought it all together because when we first started Black Manafort Stone, he was one of our first clients. Roger Stone had been working with him during the Reagan campaign and thought Trump had all the talent to be president someday. He thought about that back in 1980. And so when Trump needed help to get his nomination and set up the strategy for the election, he turned to me and uh, the rest is history. Yeah. And, and, you know, what was interesting, what I learned about, you know, what you do for campaigns is that you were perfect for what Trump needed. You know, he was this, you know, unique candidate who came in and, and really didn't go to the the typical consultants telling him what position to take on this issue and how to say this. He just handled things, but there was a lot that he didn't know, such as, um, you know, how to, how to manage delegates and how to, how to deal with the primary and things like that. So I, I was a little bit curious in listening to you, you talk about a lot of we do of what you do and in particular, what was that help that you gave his campaign? Well, Trump was probably the most unique candidate I ever worked for running for president because he wasn't just the candidate. He was the uh, pollster. I mean, he had his own sense of, uh, of what was going on. He was his issues guy. He had his own sense of that. He wrote his own speeches. And from the very beginning, he was beating them in the primaries uh, and, and, and emerging as the front runner. The problem he had was that 
getting the nomination for the Republican Party isn't just winning primaries. You have to win delegates. And delegates don't come automatically with the the percentage of the primary you get. And each state is different as to how the delegates are selected. So there was, a, unless he was able to get an outright majority of delegates, a significant more, more than a majority, uh, he, he was at risk of having tro- what I call Trojan delegates, people who might be pledged to him but support another candidate because they were elected separate from the primary system. Uh, and while you think, well, what value is that? Well, you, the rules of the convention, uh, the order of business, who the officers are, uh, you know, and it, all of that comes into play. And in a sec, if there is a second ballot, which there could have been, uh, these delegates are usually all freed up to vote any way they want. Cruz understood that. Cruz had people who understood that process, uh, and that's clearly what he was doing. He was he, where he was losing to Trump. He was following behind him because usually the delegate selections were a couple of weeks after primaries and he was winning Trump delegates, uh, Trump delegate spots. Uh, when Trump realized that, which he didn't understand, he thought first he thought he was getting, uh, he was, he was getting stolen, the nomination was getting stolen from him. And Reince Priebus, the chairman, sat down with him and he said, no, you have to understand the rules. And, you know, and Trump looked at his then campaign manager and said, did you know this? And he didn't. He said, no, I don't, didn't. Uh, and, uh, and so when they left that room, Trump talked to Stone, a couple Roger Stone, and a couple of other people, and asked who knows about conventions and delegates. And frankly, that's one of my skill sets. Uh, and, uh, and so that's how I initially got brought in. And then my role grew from that to become the chairman, where I built together the structure that ran the general election, the strategy for it, and, uh, uh, and built out the mechanisms. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you don't realize one doesn't realize how important that that skill is and that need is for a campaign, especially one like Trump's, who was who was, you know, I, I like to say he, he flew by the seat of his pants, but he really was under control. Right. He, he just did his thing and he knew what he wanted. No one had to. He didn't. I, I have a belief that he probably didn't even really practice or prepare for debates. Right. And he didn't, he didn't feel he had to. You're right. I mean. And that's good, right? He, he, he was a very, very real, authentic candidate who understood the pulse of the country, recognized what the angst was, understood the problem in Washington, and uh, and and he because he had never been involved in politics, he would not accept no, and that's how he built his campaign. So, so then you know you had been actually what a lot of people didn't know is that you were in Ukraine with your business for about what ten years right. doing political consulting there. You were very involved in and in, in ingrained in. Uh, Ukraine. So tell us about what you what you did there and what yeah. you saw. From I, I the basically ran, ran the the, prim, the parliamentary and presidential elections. I won every one of them for ten years in Ukraine, building a government, uh, electing governments that were committed to create the fr- framework that was necessary for Ukraine to qualify to to apply to, uh, for membership at the European Community. It was very it was a good very successful time. We did set that framework. And, uh, and the biggest enemy of what I was doing was Vladimir Putin in Russia, who did not want Ukraine to be part of Europe. And so when, when Weissman and Mueller started saying, well, Paul Manafort was the link to Putin, it was a joke. I mean, anybody who knew what I'd been doing for 10 years would have understood that not only was I not a link to Putin, I was a bullseye for Putin and uh, what I was doing in Ukraine. And that's why I didn't take it seriously at first, because I couldn't believe anybody would ever believe that. 
Well, they made up the whole Russian thing in, in general, as as we now know for certain. You and and even someone like me, a lonely old guy like me, knew all this was a hoax very very early on. All you had to do was pay attention. Uh, and uh, okay, so so then you you know you come back uh, and get involved in the Trump campaign. You have all this knowledge and experience about campaigns and. Uh, in regards to Ukraine, as it turns out, we're you know we're dealing with Ukraine still. So, when did you first hear that you were being uh, there were criminal? There was a criminal investigation against you personally. Uh, I didn't believe there was one at all until uh, until really Sessions recused himself from dealing with anything as Attorney General related to the campaign. That's when I first time, for the first time, started to take things seriously. When they, when it originally came out in in August of 2016 about Trump colluding with uh, with Putin, I didn't take. It. I just thought it was another campaign dirty trick. Um, and even and so when and we when we won, I figured okay, now it'll go away. Like always, the winners will put together the government. The losers will figure out why they lost and try again. But it didn't happen that way this time. The, Contrary to what these, what Pelosi and Clinton and the Democrats in Washington are saying today about January sixth, they never recognized the 2016 election. They never, they never credited Trump with winning. They spent four years trying to destroy his presidency. Uh, they they legitimized uh, impeachment as an ordinary tool of a majority of the Congress instead of an extraordinary uh, remedy for gross gross malfeasance. So they were the real threats to democracy, not people going up to Capitol Hill to voice their right to, uh, you know, have an opinion on, on the elections. Uh, but uh, so I didn't take it seriously until, really seriously, until the doss- Steele dossier came out in early January. When that came out, I started to say, well, this is crazy. It doesn't make any sense. It's not real. Uh, but there's, it was now a continuation of what had been going on in the campaign instead of it ending on on election day, and uh, and when then the House and Senate committees, you know, f- formed their intelligence investigations, and then I realized, okay, so it's going to be a congressional, you know, political game, and uh, and I played it. I worked with them. I gave, gave them everything they asked for. Cooperated. I was never really worried about criminality because I know there was knew there was no Russian collusion, but then then Sessions recused himself. The creation of, an, of a special counsel was was uh, was set up, and that's when I knew that there was a different game, and I didn't understand why. Mueller's mandate was very 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 limited to Russian collusion. Uh, he they because they couldn't find any on me, uh, they got, got a secret letter from Rob Rosenstein, the Deputy Attorney General, to go after me for the rest of my for the my whole entire life, and to investigate me to find anything they could. Which was not their mandate, but they were they needed to go they're going after Trump. They had to targeted me as the person who would do that. Now, thanks to the, the the Durham investigation, we can now put it all together. And in my book, I do. I lay this all out. I mean, we now know that in early July of 2016, Hillary Clinton told her campaign manager, Robbie Mooks, uh, to start this fake story about Trump and Putin colluding together. Um and we know that because Mooks, under oath in one of the trials this last year, admitted it. Uh, we also know that about the, the next few days or so, John Brennan, the CIA director, uh, went and briefed President Obama on what Clinton was planning on doing. So he knew. Yet two weeks later, 
Crossfire Hurricane was started by Peter Strzok at the FBI to investigate Russian collusion, which they all knew was a Clinton campaign uh, uh, fake story. So we now know, we now know thanks to term that in July, before it all started, the CIA, the FBI, the White House all knew that it wasn't true, that this was a Clinton narrative. Uh, and, and when Mueller was appointed, we now know as well that the FBI, we learned this just yesterday in the in the Devchenko trial, the FBI was aware that the Steele dossier, which was the predicate for the creation of this of the Mueller investigation, we know that the FBI knew that it wasn't verified and it wasn't true. And yet they it was used to do three FISA searches. Uh, is uh, FISA applications as well as start the Mueller investigation. So the whole thing was a lie built on a foundation of deceit, uh, and unfortunately, with, with the weaponization of our judicial and our law enforcement system. Yeah, it's really it's really sad to me because the country went through so much uh, in regards to the Mueller report, and and as you said, they went after you and other people. And that had nothing to do with any Russia collusion. You know, my my you know professional idol Rush Limbaugh used to say, you know, when he was on, he he would say, uh, you know, that Robert Mueller could have thrown the whole report out the window in one hour because when he went in to investigate, he would have seen there was no crime. So it'd be like investigating a murder of someone who's alive, right? There was no crime committed. So end of story. That's exactly right. Uh, and they knew it. That's the worst part of it all. They knew it and they allowed it to happen. And, and, and you know, Mueller, you know, frankly, I don't think Mueller was very involved in his investigation. Uh, it was run by Weissman for sure uh, in his final report. Uh, but what they did that was very clever so that they could keep this hoax going is they blurred the concept of Russian interference and Russian collusion. Interference in the election, we were interfered with by many countries, Russia, Ukraine, China, Romania. Uh, that's normal in election processes. And now in the cyber te technology world, it's even more common. Uh, we do it in other countries. Uh, and, uh, and so there was Russian interference. No one ever said there wasn't. But there wasn't collusion between Trump and, and, and Vladimir Putin to elect Donald Trump. And Mueller knew it, but he still allowed the line to be blurred. Uh, to advance the hoax. Uh, and, the, and the Senate Intelligence Committee report, which has 90 pages on me of garbage, there's not one fact, not one fact in there that, alert, that ties me to Moscow at all. And, and if they had done any research on my career, and some of those senators did know about my career and should have known better, they would have known that I never worked for Vladimir Putin, ever. We know this now. I knew this from spending 50 hours with Weissman. Weissman had this crazy theory that Trump was was getting the help from Putin because Putin got a commitment from Trump that when he, Trump was elected, he would let Putin take Ukraine, which if you just look at history, you see the exact opposite. I mean, it was Obama who let Putin take Crimea with not, nothing and, would, and refused to arm uh, the Ukrainians to fight, fight back. It was Obama who recognized Nord Stream 2, which gave Putin the control into Europe of the energy flow. It was Trump, when he came into power, that stopped all of that. He shut, he shut down Crimea, the, the uh, Nord Stream 2. He gave weapons to Ukraine to defend themselves, and he warned Putin not to encroach on, foreign, on Ukrainian territory. And guess what? Nothing happened until Joseph Biden gets elected president, and the same team 
that was would work for Obama in foreign policy moved over to Biden. Putin recognized that. And what is one of the first things they do? They stop giving military aid to Ukraine. They take off the sanctions on Nord Stream 2. Uh, and they uh, and they encourage Putin because of shutting down U.S. energy independence with our, our, our production and drilling. They encourage Putin to be able to position Europe because of his now dominant position in the energy, taking us out of play, to invade Ukraine. And as soon as he saw the debacle of Afghanistan, Putin said, okay, it's time. I see I can read these tea leaves. And he started mobilizing on the border of Russia and Ukraine I mean, immediately. And we said nothing. Biden said nothing. He said, well, we will deter them if they go in by putting sanctions on after they invade. Well, what kind of deterrence is it after something has happened? That's not deterrence. It's happened. Uh, and Putin understood the weakness of that all. So, I mean, and, and they, all of this fits into the same pattern uh, of the way they treated me, the way they came after Trump. So that Weissman's theory that Trump was going to give Ukraine to Putin in return for his support was the exact opposite of what happened. Yeah. And, and you, you've mentioned Weissman a few times and he was the main, for those that are listening that they maybe don't know, Weissman is, uh, was the main investigator lawyer on the Mueller report. And we could do a whole separate show on him, but he's, he's got a very sordid past and history. He's not, uh, this is me saying it and I, I won't ask your opinion, but he, he's not the kind of person uh, with integrity. But anyway, so they what they ultimately kind of pursued you on initially was uh, the whole FARA documentation at being a, a working in Ukraine, having businesses and, and engagements throughout the world. Explain real quick what a FARA yeah. is. There is the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, and it was created in the 1930s uh, to identify when a political party hires uh, somebody to, who's working in the United States on their behalf. And it, it's, it's got both criminal and civil aspects. Criminal was never used. It's an opaque kind of law. But the thing is, you have to disclose it, file it every year. What you, and they have certain requirements. I didn't file FARA for my work in Ukraine because what's exempted from FARA is political consulting in the country. I wasn't working for Ukraine in the United States. In fact, I had lobbyists who were doing that. I worked for Ukraine running the elections and then helping them become part of Europe. So I didn't think I had any obligation to file. When the, the propaganda against me started coming out in August of 2016, the fair unit of justice read the newspapers and they called my, me and my attorney and asked me to come in for friendly conversation as to why I don't think I needed to file. I explained it. And over the course of the next three months, we went back and forth. But uh, eventually, I agreed to file for one year uh, in 2013 for a limited purpose. I didn't think I needed to, but I was willing to do it uh, to get it over with. No criminal charges, no civil charges, no fines, no reprimands. Just file the document. And the matter was closed. Closed until Weissman was appointed by the special counsel. He went to the fair office and said, what's the situation with the Manafort case? And uh, the head of the office said, there is no Manafort case. It's been resolved. He's done a filing and it's over. And he said, well, it's not over. I'm throwing out what you, whatever you agreed with him on. I'm taking authority over it. And then he proceeded to charge me criminally the first time in the 70 years of the act uh, for, for violating my fair act. By the way, all of these actions were in 2010, 11, 12, and 13. None of them were during uh, anywhere near the presidential election. 
uh, but they needed a link. And my, my work in Ukraine was going to be the, pro- the, the, the bridge that they were going to use to try and agree to the Kremlin. Uh, and from there, uh, I was in the crosshairs because their goal was to get me break down and give them Donald Trump, which to do that, I would have had to lie and I wasn't going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately they're, they're barking up the wrong tree because there was nothing to give up and that's why nobody has not you, not anyone else who they, who they went after. Cause it, it seems as though that's the tactic. And I know that this has been the tactic of, of others. Uh, and there, there's books written on this of what they do. They go after people for minor, minor things or things that aren't even real. I mean, anyone could be investigated their whole life. And I'm sure little old me, there probably could be some discrepancy on a tax return somewhere, right? And they just drive you into bankruptcy with legal fees and then hope you just want to end it. And and in their case, they wanted you to flip on Trump, but there's nothing to flip on. Well, and in fact, they brought bank charges against me for bank fraud, they said, uh, because they said on my application, I lied. And one of the key examples they used for me lying on one of my loan applications was I, I got a mortgage on a property that I got for my daughter to live in in New York. And she was, was in a different in a business that changed and she moved to California. So she, it was, she started to rent out through Airbnb, Airbnb the apartment. Uh, and in the, in the mortgage application, I said it was for personal use. It was not a commercial purpose. Well, they said that's a lie. Airbnb is a commercial purpose. Uh, and they, that became a bank fraud. Now, mind you, the banks were not upset with the loans. The banks didn't feel like victims. The, all the loans were performing. But that was the game they played to come after me because the goal was to build up the pressure to squash me. And uh, and it, it went, you know, what, what they did with General Flynn. I mean, he was the national security advisor designate. His job was to deal with the ambassadors in Washington on the foreign policy of, pres- of the president-elect Trump. So he met with ambassadors, including the Russian ambassador. They said that was a violation of the Logan Act, uh, that he was doing something to undermine the uh, the uh, foreign policy of the current administration, the Obama administration. This is in mid-January, a week before the he's going to be the actual national security advisor. It's a joke. Nobody in Washington should have taken that seriously. All of a sudden, it was the most important violation in the history of the country. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't a violation at all. Uh, but the, that's the hypocrisy of Washington. That's the hypocrisy of the media. And that's what happens when the uh, when the, the, the guns are pointed at you, so to speak. And, the, and that's the reason I wrote my book, because while I wanted my story to get out, I felt it was incumbent upon me to warn the American people that I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. Uh, you need to understand what they did to me. They're going to do to you if we don't take back our country. And, and I gave examples because I finished the book last this December. I got the first year of the Biden administration into the book. So I was able to point out this disinformation bureau at the Department of Homeland Securities, which was a very scary thing. It was going to allow the Department of, Social, of Homeland Security to say, that if you disagree with something they said, you could be a domestic terrorist, which means, by the way, that you could get thrown into jail like the people in January 6th with no right to an attorney, no right to, uh, uh, to bail, and just wait until they feel like dealing with you. I mean, that's a very scary thing. The, the school board uh, meetings where they got parents, Gar- Merrick Garland is going to call parents going to those meetings, domestic terrorists. Again, same reason. And of course, since then, we've got the speech Biden gave in Philadelphia a month ago, where he basically said, this country's two parts. There's the part that's American, which is my people. And there's the rest, which are fascists because they disagree with me. And if you're fascist, we're coming after you. 
That was the scariest speech I ever heard a president say. But that was the message I was trying to get out in my book to the American people, which is you can't just sit in the sidelines and watch this happen, or you will feel the same consequences that have happened to me and are happening to other people as well. And of course, now you see pro-life uh, fathers getting arrested in front of their parents or their kids. Peter Navarro getting shackled on an airplane when he could have walked across the street to his office to tell him he needed to turn himself in. I mean, it's all tactics of intimidation to quiet not just me and, and Navarro and others, but to the American people. And, and in the book, I talk about we need to take back our country. And the first step is coming up on November 8th. Yeah, it is. And and it's, uh, you know, obviously elections have consequences and, and we're hoping that the midterms here are big, uh, but it still keeps, you know, Joe Biden is still president. You know, Kamala Harris is still whatever the heck she is. I uh, don't really know. But uh, but I, I want to ask you, I guess, why do these people hate and, and really they hate Trump? They hate you. They they hate Roger Stone. They, they hate Peter Navarro. They hate me and in a sense meaning voters like me people who like what trump is doing uh, what what is so yeah, I mean, scary why about do they hate i mean I, I wish i had an answer they they do the reason that they are opposing trump and people who support him is because trump is an existential threat to what they're trying to achieve which is a takeover of our country a destruction of our human rights putting us into the world global village uh the davos model uh, they're trying to destroy our capital system by, you know, putting uh, these these new models that uh, that are forced on corporations to take move shareholder uh, out of the equation and put equity into the equation of of what uh, what the goals a company should be, and and so because they are that committed, it's sort of like a Stalinistic or Leninistic approach. If you're not, we've got to destroy those who dis- who disagree with us before we can take it over. It's it's not the American way. Uh, but then again, a lot of the people coming out of co- high school now and even college are not educated on what the American way is. They don't understand the Constitution. They don't understand the Bill of Rights. Uh, and they've been fed, uh, you know, propaganda on, on all the things that aren't true. I mean, there's distorted history. And uh, it's part of taking back our country has got to be to take back our school system in the grammar schools, in the high schools, not just in the colleges. And it's a weighty job, but it's one that has to be done. We cannot ignore it. It can be achieved. I mean, we, the majority of this country believes in this country. It's a, it's a very small minority of activists who are trying to take it over. And it's incumbent upon us to help that majority do what's necessary to take back our country and put it on the right track again. I, I remember I, I ran into a politician in San Francisco last week who's an old-time politician, a major Democratic figure holder, uh, and we had a nice conversation together remembering the days, again, my growing up and his growing up, where in, we fought each other tooth and nail in politics, and at the end of the day, we'd go out for dinner or we'd have a drink or we'd talk things, and there was a social relationship because we both respected each other's commitment to the country. Uh, we may have different views on it, but we respected it. There's no respect anymore. Yeah, that's a there's, that's a perfect way to end our conversation. Uh, gosh, uh, 30 minutes flew by, and uh, I could talk to you for quite a few uh, hours longer. But uh, for those that want to uh, hear more of the the in-depth inside story, and I know there's a lot of really great stories that you 
have about you know everything that went on with you uh, the book is definitely uh, definitely the way to go because you can get all the information there that's yeah that's what we need to do is keep people informed because i guarantee you all the people that's that don't like paul manafort they don't know why i guarantee you 90 percent of people if you ask they, they said oh that guy they couldn't tell tell you what what the reason is and that's what happens to and uh, as you said, with misinformation, people giving wrong information about people and they make decisions based upon that. And so um, all this is very sad, very concerning, because as you said, it can happen to any of us. And it has happened to a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people and you you specifically. So, Paul, um, thanks so much. What, what are you doing real quick? What are you doing these days? What, what's keeping you busy? Well, I'm speaking on my book, Political Prisoner. It's, I mean, I'm promoting it. Uh, it's available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Nobles, at most bookstores now. Uh, I'm also helping advising uh, on these elections to friends of mine. Uh, and I'm doing a little bit of business to kind of try and repair some of the hole in my, my economic well-being that uh, the special counsel took from me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, well, all the best with all that. And uh, uh, you look like you're uh, you're healthy and and doing well. And I and I hope you have many, many more years of doing this great work that we need out there. And, and let's hope that uh, Republicans take back over in uh, in a few weeks here and that uh, if Trump runs, which I hope and think he will, let's hope he wins as well, because we need that. Paul Manafort, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jerry. Enjoyed it. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of Fide's podcast with Paul Manafort. Please check out all my different podcasts and all the different podcast apps, YouTube, Rumble, on Frank Speech, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on rightamericamedia.com. So thank you again, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.